The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Drug maker Eli Lilly, the company behind weight loss meds like Manjaro and ZepBound, will now sell its drugs directly to consumers. It's a shakeup to pricing and to healthcare, says CNBC's Bertha Coombs. That transparent pricing is really a shot across the bow at the big three pharmacy benefit managers, Cigna's Express Scripts, CVS's Caremark, and United Health's Optum. Primary care physician Kavita Patel on the problems Lilly could solve. Every single phone call I get is, my pharmacy is out of fill in the blank. And I think this is basically another mechanism to make sure that those calls don't have to happen. And Apple had a tough year for sales, but a banner year for its stock. John Ford has all the possible outcomes for the Giants 2024. I'm not saying it'll keep its $2.9 trillion market cap. I'm just saying that it's not the worst house in the mega cap blocks. Plus, the rest of today's headlines that got us squawking. Microsoft's first change since the 90s, the end of office space, and two Fed heads walk into a bar. Oh, wait, wrong one. You know the one of the, the stockbroker and the economist are walking along and they see the $20 bill on the floor? It's Thursday, January 4th, 2024. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Mike Santoli and Steve Leisman. Joe and Andrew are off today. Guys, welcome. It's great to see both of you. Good to be here. Good to see you. First up today on the podcast, Wall Street trying to find its footing after a tough couple of sessions. The Dow losing nearly 300 points and the Nasdaq its fourth straight loss on Wednesday. Mega cap tech stocks like Apple are underperforming to start the new year over uncertainty around when the Federal Reserve will cut interest rates. Now, this is a stark contrast to the end of 2023, a year that really went out on a high note. The S&P 500 up more than 24 percent before the new year. Yeah, it was a little disappointing yesterday, but uh, again, not a great start. Mike, I was going to talk to you about the Santa Claus rally. Yep, we'll, didn't happen. We'll get to that, or maybe we'll do it now. Yeah. Uh, look, it's it's one of those things where it's a seven trading day period of the year, high probability historically of it being positive, and there's some association with when it's not up, as this what year, that it's sort of perhaps associated with subpar returns for January and the remainder of the year. Wide variation if you look back at all the years when this has happened. Not necessarily uh, down, but subpar. Yeah, some were down. The year 2000 was down. You know, that, 2008 was down. Um, but I, I do think that it's one of those things where it's just kind of, okay, fine. Uh, one of the positive things was not checked off for this year, but you can't really extrapolate too much out of it. I'll just make another comment, which is, I was telling Steve earlier, I remember that when I was, you know, doing this years ago, we were at Barron's. There were five guys in the dusty archive who knew about these things. 
and they talked about him amongst themselves. And I love Jeff Hirsch of the Stock Traders Almanac. His dad, Yale Hirsch, yeah. came up with this yeah. and sort of discovered these patterns. And, um, you know, I think he would even say, like, it just kind of means maybe there's going to be a deep correction out there. Maybe it's noise. Maybe we have to just be on alert. Maybe it's um, nothing. And now we, we kind of talk about it for two months. Right. I hate all this stuff. It, it, <laughs> I know you I'm do. sorry Joe's not here because I'm going to make an economics joke. Um, oh, boy. Uh, he, you, you, he know loves the, your you know the one of the, the stockbroker and the economist are walking along and they see the $20 bill on the floor? Yeah. No. And the stockbroker bends down to pick up the $20 bill and the economist goes, what are you doing? He goes, I'm, he goes, I'm picking up the $20 bill. He goes, you idiot. If that was a real $20 bill, somebody would have picked it up already. <laughs> okay? Okay. To me, these things like Santa Claus rallies, if they are real, the market should absolutely arbitrage them away ahead of time. You know, right? if it was a real $20 bill, if it was a real $20 bill, now I get that there are certain flow things, the tax selling, the buying, the this, that. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. You're, you're, you're saying that the economist in that joke is the one who has it right? Exactly. <laughs> now that's a joke on a joke. Yeah. I get that. Exactly. In this case, though, that's the operative idea, no, is it. that yeah. there isn't sort of free money hanging around. I agree with you, yeah. except there are structural calendar tendencies for ridiculous reasons. Well, we have a performance years. year. We have a tax year. Right. We have, have incentives based on, yeah, we have incentives or, or just mechanical things in the market that seem to be repeating every well, but season the, the of the year. The other thing I heard yesterday repeatedly on our air was that for the last 16 election years, you haven't had a down year in the market. So which plays out? Is it the Santa Claus? Yeah, it's actually more nuanced than that. I think it's you haven't had an election year when there was an incumbent president running. Yes, an incumbent president. Okay, what about okay. when the AFC wins size. the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. What about, right. you know, those right. are the things that make me a little nuts. When you sort nonetheless. Of, when you get up in the morning and you believe the world has fundamental things that make it work, and then people come along and say, no, um, the AFC is going to win the Super Bowl this year, and therefore the market's going to be up. Well, that fell apart years ago. If I, if but I, it was a real thing, though. For a while. Right? It was always tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> but yeah. If I see 20 bucks on the ground, I'm picking it up. You're picking it up. Yeah. Okay. Down to the minutes from the latest Fed meeting here. Uh, they showed members expect three quarter point cuts by the end of the year. We knew that, but there was a high level of uncertainty over how or if that's going to happen. Um, I thought the market went into this looking for some evidence to back up the extent to which it's rallied. Agree. Either the timing of a rate cut or the depth of the rate cuts. It didn't get either. And I think the Fed very specifically is trying to be neutral on this. Yes. There was affirmation that they're at the end of the rate hike cycle. They peaked, but really no or little information. If there was a big discussion about rate cuts next year, um, it, didn't, uh, uh, it didn't show up in the minutes. And, Mike, this gets back to our last conversation. Yeah. Maybe there's a Santa Claus rally because of seasonal stuff. But this rally we just had sure looked to me based on a change in interest rate expectations more than anything. I don't know if that's normally part of a Santa Claus rally or no, whatever. No, not necessarily. But, but to but me... There may yet be a Santa Claus rally based upon yeah. this silly calendar stuff, and I don't mean it necessarily. Strict constructionist, silly. it's only seven days. The Santa Claus rally does not encompass the whole fourth quarter rally or the two months that we've been up nine weeks in a row. But right. to your point, right. yes, largely it has been at least the removal of that idea that we had yields running away to the upside because, right. you know, we just don't know what the Fed's going to do and we have all this supply. Uh, and the economy, let's be clear, 
has held up better than most expected, and there's been nothing to steer people away from the disinflation story and saying we keep getting confirmation right. that it's in right. train. Only, I think all that stuff is also behind it. The only thing that I keep saying is I'd like the market to price in some risk that it's wrong. It well, sure, sure feels like they've gone all the way to one side on this. Definitely six rate cuts. Yeah. 70%. By the way, it's down a little bit, the probability of a rate cut in March. It's still 70. It was like 75 yeah. going in. Um, but anyway, some a good amount of certainty is going to happen in March. It may happen in March, but I just think the Fed is not telling you that. Lot, we do have a lot of data points between now and then, though. I, I, I think there's three unemployment reports, a bunch of inflation reports. And a Fed meeting at the end of the month. A right. couple things. January of last year, I went back and looked at something I was writing in mid-January of last year. It's the same conversation. The Fed Fund's futures market was talking about <laughs> cuts at the end of 2023 at that moment. Right. And because everyone thought it was going to be a recession, we didn't get the cuts, the market was up. But they had 12 like, months to figure it out. No, but you, I, granted, I think March is, is, is definitely something that could swing the other yeah. direction. Yeah. But what the market also knows is, Steve, what does the Fed say the neutral rate is, right? Where are Fed funds right now? Where is inflation right now? Just the math of all those things put together, the market says, I don't know. It seems like we have downside risk to short right. rates. And we know that when easing cycles start, things happen but and maybe get, they gather pace. To get a rate cut in March, I, I, I try and think of the economic outlook that would require an, a Fed. Two more great inflation reports. You think? And then it's like, okay. We're, we're, I mean, I don't think it's, I'm not saying they should or they absolutely will, but the, the the, the, the framework is there for it. Okay. Moody's Investor Service is warning office loan delinquencies hit a five-year high in November for mortgages packed into bond deals. And it says those delinquencies are expected to climb further in 2024 as borrowers who financed opportunities at low rates face higher borrowing costs on a wave of uh, maturing debt, of course. Moody's also said an increase in hybrid work plays into this equation as tenants with rolling leases seek to renew at lower rates and for less space. The rate of office loans at least 60 days past due climbed to 5.28% in November. This made the minutes yesterday. Uh, the Fed is, is, is watching this, yeah. and they did note that this year there's a wave of refinancings that are coming through. Meaning that they, they might act as a result to, to offset a potential wave of problems that would weigh on the economy? No, nah, it's never that simple, Becky. In, in, in the long list of One of the things, things you pile on this side inflationary of the or yeah. disinf or, or, or deflationary or disinflationary, the CRE thing came in the sort of, this is a negative for the economy that we have to watch. New this morning, Microsoft announcing my favorite story of the morning. Keyboards on upcoming window PCs will feature a Copilot key for having text conversations with its virtual assistant. Copilot in Windows taps AI models from Microsoft-backed startup OpenAI. It can compose text in response to a few words of user input. Users can ask it to write emails, answer questions, create images, and launch PC features. The new dedicated key on the keyboard will be the first prominent addition to the Windows keyboard since the 1994 introductions of the Windows key for viewing the start menu. The new keyboards will begin rolling out this month. So it's a marketing thing because you're basically just hitting a button to talk to the AI assistant? I, I think so. It's a shortcut, then, yeah. Aren't but there, you can do it with your... Aren't there any trust questions? Does it have to go to Microsoft AI? <laughs> um, or can it go to a different AI if I well, want to Well, it Microsoft PCs, so I, the I ones that are just, loaded with Windows. Yeah, I think it's just if you're talking about the keyboard with that, it's still going to be available probably yeah. on the screen. Yeah, no, the Mac's not going to have it, put it that way.
Um, but it is interesting. Microsoft, though, so wedded to the old, like, we have specific commands that you have to enter. And there's an old joke about, about them versus Apple on all the syntax of, of remember that? We have C colon slash slash, yes. all this other stuff. So anyway, uh, it is kind of cute. Oh, I'll talk about it later. Apple ran. Come on, I did my econ Listen, joke. Come on, Santoli. <laughs> when Windows 95 launched, okay, the hype around it was amazing for a box of software. It was unbelievable. It was like a Harry Potter rolling, book before Harry rolling, Potter. They had the Rolling Stones. Exactly. Start me up every so the day of the launch, Apple ran a two-page spread in the Wall Street Journal ad and the Times, I think, that said congratulations, but in the compressed mangled syntax of C colon slash slash <laughs> and it was really funny cheese will be next coming up next on squawk pod huge news for eli Lilly and for you a healthcare consumer the pharma company will sell drugs like weight loss winner manjaro directly to consumers primary care physician dr kavita patel joins us on how it could change the healthcare system's access problem Literally millions of Americans, if you tried to pick up a phone and get a primary care appointment or even a weight loss appointment with an obesity specialist today, you can't get one. Eli Lilly's big news and what it means for you right after this. The market doesn't joke around. So why would you get serious? Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. And this morning, Becky Quick, Mike Santoli, and Steve Leesman had some big news on our TV broadcast. Here's Mike. We have some breaking news from Eli Lilly right now. Bertha Coombs joins us with the details. Bertha. Mike, Eli Lilly is taking a bold step to get its obesity and diabetes medications directly to consumers. The drug maker is launching Lilly Direct, where patients can get the company's obesities, diabetes, migraine meds with a doctor's prescription directly from Lilly. If they don't have a doctor, they can find one on the site and get their prescription sent to their home uh, through a third party. Lilly is using online pharmacies like TruePill and others for this direct-to-consumer push. In an exclusive interview with NBC News' Maggie Vespa, CEO David Ricks says he thinks consumers are ready for this move. At a high level, it's, it seems like something that, that should have happened before. Mm. We're used to buying uh, consumer goods directly from manufacturers all the time on online websites. It hasn't really been an option that's been provided before. But given um, how complicated healthcare is, particularly for common medications, we thought it was time to create a new way for patients to, to get access directly from Lilly for medicines they want. Now, through Lilly Direct, patients can get the company's new weight loss drug, ZepBound, which lists for about $1,060 
for half that price at $550 without insurance and a copay of $25 with insurance. Now that transparent pricing is really a shot across the bow at the big three pharmacy benefit managers, Cigna's Express Scripts, CVS's Caremark, and United Health's Optum. Drug makers have long complained that they have to give PBMs steep discounts, but then patients still pay high out-of-pocket costs based on a list price and that the PBMs, they say, pocket the difference. Now, David Ricks has said that he wants employers to know that they are working hard to make these weight loss, weight loss drugs more affordable. By doing this, he's certainly setting a precedent saying, really, the real price of this is $550, not the list price that we have to use to negotiate with the PBMs. Back over to you. Bertha, fascinating uh, move here. I, I guess one of the questions is, aside from the price transparency, is this in effect creating uh, a little bit of a, of a premium lane or a fast track? In other words, are they going to prioritize supplies through the direct channel or how are we going to sort that out? Yeah, that's one of the interesting things. We know that Novo Nordic has trouble uh, with uh, the supply, keeping up with demand in terms of Ozempic and Wagovi. However, uh, the folks at Lilly say that they're okay in terms of supply, especially with Zepbound. This is new, so you know the demand is just ramping. They certainly want to put this drug on the map. But this doesn't mean that they're going to get rid of their relationships with PBNs altogether. I mean, one one real sort of example of how these guys are frenemies is what happened yesterday. CVS is taking off AbbVie's Humira. This is a drug to treat uh, rheumatoid arthritis, plaque psoriasis. They're taking that off of their formulary starting in the second quarter and only going to offer the generics or the biosimilar versions of those. What AbbVie is doing is it's going to work with CVS's company that is producing biologics, biosimilars, and they're going to give them a co-branded biosimilar version of that so that they can still get that sale. So at a much more discounted price from the list price, but they still want to be in there. Bertha, this is not a coincidence that this is happening at a time where the federal government is, is trying to lower drug costs and is going to be directly negotiating with the drug companies for, for Medicare. Um, that's, that's a big part of the reason everybody's been trying to figure out internally because the drug companies have been saying it's the pharmacy benefits manager's fault, trying to, to point the blame elsewhere. Do you think that this is something that is really going to stick? I, I understand why they would do it with a big popular drug that consumers want, like these weight loss drugs, because that gets the attention, the idea that they went to the Today Show. It means they're looking for the broadest possible consumer audience to get some of these things. But is this more than a, a marketing ploy? Is this an attempt to really break the system and say, forget it, we're, we're going to go direct and we're going to try and do that with a lot more drugs? You know, I, I, I'm not sure that they really have the ability to necessarily do that altogether because, you know, it, it's not just, a, you know, one popular drug in terms of their whole whole list of, of what they have. It's kind of difficult. Um, there's there's a whole infrastructure involved. But certainly it's going to be a very interesting experiment, especially with a big popular drug like this. And don't forget, again, Novo Nordisk is sort of number one. So they want to make this big splash here to make sure that they are in the game and that they can gain more market share against Wagovi 
with the diadrug, which uh, from the studies that we've seen is very, very effective. Now, we've also got pushback on these diadrugs because even at $550 a month, that's a lot. Uh, in terms of employers covering it. So especially if it's something that someone has to be on these drugs for a lifetime, there's still a lot of employers that are trying to figure out how they can afford this. We've even seen a report this morning, Modern Healthcare, that more employers and more insurers are starting to look at bariatric surgery and make that more accessible because that's just a one-time $25,000 or $30,000 you know, expense rather than a lifetime of these drugs and these drugs that are new, so they're still on patent. You know, Bertha, things moving so fast. More news from Lilly in this direct area that the company has commenced legal action against some importers and distributors, uh, they say, fraudulently claiming to sell Manjaro, uh, Zepbound, or other medicines like this. And essentially, in an open letter, Lilly is saying uh, that it does not promote or encourage use of Manjaro and the other drugs uh, outside of a medicine's FDA-approved uh, indication. In other words, going after, uh, I guess, some providers out there that are that are trying to circumvent the normal well, normal the, channels the, and perhaps going after co- people who are using this for cosmetic, cosmetic weight, purposes, weight yeah. loss purposes. But I, the idea of going directly to the consumer with this drug would raise some brows, I would think. You know, if you don't have a doctor, don't worry, we'll provide one for you. It almost seems like they are promoting. No, 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 no. This oh, has to be. Yeah. Pres- but, yeah, but, you, but it's still, you have to have a doctor's prescription. And yeah. Yeah, but part a doctor of the reason will provide they, for they you. are doing that is, right, but they also want you to connect you. They'll connect you with a doctor in your own area who can prescribe it. And they are recommending that you work with a doctor because for a lot of people, you know, the initial side effects are really tough and you really need to, you know, follow with a doctor on these because at some point, Maybe the dosage you have initially is too low or too high, yeah. and then you can adjust it later so on. So they're doubling down and saying this shouldn't be for people who are lo- trying to lose 10 pounds or something. This is for somebody who has a real medical weight problem with this, because that's been the big question. The reason there's so much interest in this in Wall Street is because they think it's going to be 5% of the population on this, not 2%. Yeah, but you also have to look at the fact that you have so many Americans who are obese. You know, the, 34% of Americans are obese. So that is a huge addressable market if people want to go this route. Bertha, I want to go back to what you talked about earlier, this being a broadside against the pharmaceuticals. Does this overall raise questions about the value added by the pharmacy? If, if I can go and get the same service or product or whatever directly from the company, and that's a... Um, a change for me as a as, as a consumer that is without a difference, then what does that say about the overall utility of the whole pharmaceutical business here? Well, when you talk to the pharmacists, they will tell you that, you know, there are oftentimes people have questions about their medications. And you also have to consider that a lot of people are on multiple medications. So if you're taking a statin or you're taking, you know, a heart medication or something else, there can be contraindications. You know, they can sometimes work against one another. And if you're working with a pharmacist, they can keep track of that and say to you, and maybe go back to the doctor and say, hey, they're on this medication. Uh, You know, we might want to make a different choice on this. So that's one of the services that the pharmacists say they can offer. And the pharmacists- This is a challenge that's limited to these drugs. You don't see it as a broader thing where this is something like Tesla coming along and 
undermining the notion of the auto dealership, for example? You know, at the moment, I think it's difficult to do that because you have to set up a whole infrastructure. You know, you've seen Mark Cuban with cost plus drugs. Right. They've done it on a number of drugs, but they can't do everything. And then at right. the end of the day, the plan itself, the insured, the payer, the large employer, what they choose to have on the plan and these pharmacy benefit managers are in the middle of that, that's what determines what you pay and what you have access to. But again, the more transparency there is on these high-priced drugs, the more pressure it puts on everybody in the process. And I think they're all hoping that it also takes pressure off in terms of regulatory pressure. Joining on this right now um, and the impact of more transparent pricing for these drugs is Dr. Kavita Patel. She's a primary care physician, a former White House health care policy director and an NBC News and MSNBC contributor. And Dr. Patel, thank you for being here. We, we need a little guidance and advice because we've been trying to, to make sense of this news and figure out what it all means. And there's a lot of different implications that I can think of. I guess, first of all, as a doctor, what do you think about going directly to consumers? Yeah, Becky, I think it's kind of an indication of what consumers are seeking. People are tired. People don't even know. Most doctors don't even know about all the kind of middlemen and different entities that are in between the pharmaceutical manufacturer and the patient actually getting their medication. And I think this is just one more sign that people are seeking those easier solutions. And here you have Lily. It, basically, they're still going to participate with kind of the pharmacy benefit managers. They have to in order to make sure their drugs get out there. But this is just sending a very clear signal that they are going to look for alternatives through digital solutions, during with telehealth providers. You're right. They need prescriptions. None of that gets replaced without a prescription, but it'll get people medication in their hands faster. Nothing is more frustrating, Becky, than a lot of my patients. Every single phone call I get is my pharmacy is out of fill in the blank. And I think this is basically another mechanism to make sure that those calls don't have to happen and that people get drugs. And of course, that improves adherence and obviously gives better returns to Lilly. Okay, look, this is a, a shot across the bow for the pharmacy benefits managers because they're offering right. it at, at half the price because they right. say the, the PBMs jack up the price and all of that money never makes its way. The, the cuts that they give to the PBMs never make their way to the consumer. So there's that aspect of it. There's also the aspect of okay, the pharmacy says they're out, how do I get it? Do you think there'll really be better right. managers of getting it direct? I'm trying to figure out if this is like <laughs> the equivalent of Nike starting its own direct-to-consumer yeah. website and still dealing with Foot Locker. Yeah, we'll see. You're, you're probably right to be a little skeptical on is this actually going to translate to people getting all their drugs as efficiently as possible? I would, I'm not a betting woman, but I would say that it's highly unlikely that that's going to happen as seamlessly as it might sound. However, Becky, I think it is in incredibly likely that you're going to have a much more motivated line of service that is Lily partnering with a telehealth provider that also is a third party that wants to make sure that they can deliver to the consumer. All of these people are much more motivated for the consumer, which is what you're not seeing with kind of middlemen. I think if add to that, that we are going to see the FTC actually taking some action on these PBMs. Who knows what that will ultimately result in? But I think all of those are signals that we're sending that, hey, getting to the consumer in a more responsible, direct manner is going to be good. And when you're talking about not just a billion-dollar drug, but potentially a trillion-dollar set of drugs like Manjaro, Zepbound, you know, all the weight loss GLP-1 category potential, 
everybody is motivated to get them into consumers' hands as efficiently as possible. But do you worry that, that the going direct to the consumer creates this tug on the doctor that we've heard about where a patient comes in to see the doctor and isn't satisfied until you write them a prescription for leaving the office? Yeah, my, I, I have to be honest. I've been practicing for a long time, and that we always kind of worried. When I started practice, I thought, oh, that's going to happen. They're going to leave my office. They're going to go find someone that will get we'll it give for them. them. The pill. Right. That certainly happens. I don't want to dispute that. That happens every time I say, no, you don't need an antibiotic. It's a virus. Or no, you really don't need that drug. Let's try these other approaches. That does happen, but it's a much smaller fraction than you would think. It's not actually the large majority. I think the large majority of people, if they hear from a doctor, hey, I really don't think you're appropriate for this drug, then they listen. What I think you are hearing, though, when Lily makes this kind of partnership with a telehealth provider is actually, Mike, that it's hard to get to a doctor. I think this is dealing with an access problem where we have like literally millions of Americans that if you tried to pick up a phone and get a primary care appointment or even a weight loss appointment with an obesity specialist today, you can't get one. I think they're also trying to deal with an access problem. And that alone, I think this puts a lot of pressure on insurers, quite frankly, because we still have incredible difficulty getting this covered. And I think this is going to put a lot more pressure on insurers in the end. I, that's what I was wondering, too, Dr. B Patel, because we have not seen the stocks of UNH or Cigna or CVS right. trade down today. I was watching this pretty closely. Right. They still look like they're, okay, CVS down by, you know, four-tenths of a percent at this point, or four-one-hundredths of a percent, yeah. not much. The others are still trading up. And this seems like this is a big push, not, not only towards the insurance companies and the pharmacies, the pharmacy benefits managers, it just seems like you can still say we're all going to be here. But again, if I go back to the Nike and Foot Locker kind of comparison right. with that down the road, it may not be a big deal right now, but down the road where we are right now right. with Nike and Foot Locker, it is a big deal. Right. I, I, hey, look, I'm old enough. I remember going to Blockbuster to get my videos. Yeah. So, you know, right. I, I definitely agree with you. Welcome Netflix. And I think that and I think that the more that manufacturers embrace and, and look, there's a lot of regulations in healthcare, So it's not like everybody can just go out there and sell anything to a consumer. Keep in mind, this isn't easy. But every single drug company, big or small, is thinking about a digital approach. Think about gene and cell therapy. Even just the education around that makes sense to do digitally. So what you you're I 100% right that this news in and of itself is not going to necessarily shock the stock market, but I think it is sending a deep signal to the healthcare industry, be watch, look for these partnerships to disrupt the very traditional mechanisms. That combined with the FTC, that could actually amount into some short-term action. Dr. Patel, thank you very much. Thanks. Have a great day. Next on Squawk Pod, the two sides of Apple's 2024. On one hand, it's Apple, it's gonna be fine. And on the other, well, John Fort lays it all out. If there's a valuation reset in the market, Apple's gonna get hit harder than the rest because unlike Microsoft, Alphabet, and Amazon, Apple doesn't have an AI narrative to fall back on. We'll be right back. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Up track. His mic. Cue. 
Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Mike Santoli, along with Becky Quick and Steve Leisman. It's been a rough start to the year for Apple, which got another analyst downgrade just this morning on slower iPhone sales and cloudy growth prospects. So will Apple lose its status as the most valuable stock? John Fort is here to weigh in. John? Yeah, we, got, we all got jackets on this morning. I, I didn't even realize that until you sat down and said it. Yeah, so I put on. Well, no, Apple won't lose the top spot, Mike. I'm not saying it'll keep its $2.9 trillion market cap. I'm just saying that it's not the worst house on the mega cap tap block. So if Apple's value slips, all the others probably will, too. Now, the notes on, on Piper and Barclays downgrades make some reasonable points. The iPhone isn't growing right now. China is a weak spot, and the March quarter won't be that strong with consumer credit stretched. What the downgrades miss is Apple's got unique strengths. It's vertically integrated products and loyal customers provide advantages in a shifting economy. Uh, because Apple controls so much of its manufacturing and supply chain, it can quickly balance inventories when demand shifts. And because its stores nurture a direct relationship with customers, Apple's got an affordable link to a wealthy audience. Now, also, Apple's Mac lineup runs completely on its own chips now, which gives its machines better performance at higher margins than rivals. And because Apple didn't update the iPad line at all in 2023, there's probably pent-up demand for a 2024 refresh there. Now, the biggest threat to Apple stock is a valuation reset, and that will hit AI-fueled Microsoft just as hard if it comes. There might be temporary market fluctuations, but Apple stays number one. All right. I mean, I think it's only about a $100 billion gap right now. Yeah, and here's my market nerdery. In the S&P 500 index, Microsoft is actually the higher weighting by a slight hair because it takes the free float in Berkshire Hathaway shares are not, are sort of removed from the market. However, you said here's my market nerdery as if yeah. you weren't leading with that already. Exactly, <laughs> I, that was redundant, you're okay. correct. Um, on the other hand, you, you've laid out the reasons. That's my line. Why, exactly, <laughs> why uh, Apple has this valuation in a sense, the predictability, the financial strength, the fact that it has this massive installed base and customer relationships. What about the innovation piece? Did they, did they kind of lose a generation of, of, of new product introduction and get left behind? Well, Mike, on the other hand, Apple stock is sure to lose ground to rivals in 2024. Now, iPhone revenues have been stagnant for the past two years, even as shares have stayed strong. Apple's had a pretty good 2023, even though its artificial intelligence story is the fuzziest of all the mega caps. That says to me that if there's a valuation reset in the market, Apple's going to get hit harder than the rest because unlike Microsoft, Alphabet, and Amazon, Apple doesn't have an AI narrative to fall back on. In 2024, we're moving into a moment in the technology cycle that doesn't play that Apple strengths. This happens every 10 years. In the early 2000s, after the dot-com bust, investors didn't believe in consumer hardware anymore and abandoned Apple. In the early 2010s, after the financial crisis, investors thought Samsung would commoditize smartphones and abandon Apple. This time, investors probably will abandon Apple because they think the future belongs to massive cloud platforms and the AI software models running on them. The thing is, this time, they might be right. 20 years ago, Apple's iPod laid the groundwork for success. 10 years later, the iPhone proved the naysayers wrong. This time, is Apple's Vision Pro headset going mainstream? I mean, for $3,500? No. Sorry, Apple. John, what if you're wrong? What if, of course, you did both sides. Yeah, I cover myself nicely. Here's the thing. Yeah. This thing here, what if this becomes the conduit for the AI, and what we need is bigger, faster, stronger, 
hardware because the software caught up with it, that would really rejuvenate a round of replacement and recycling of the phone. Especially since Apple's making its own CPUs and graphics processors so it can control that process. That's a very good point. So that would be the thing that could be, if AI goes to the phone rather than the desktop. Well, it will. It's moving to the edge. Like, everybody's talking about it. Intel talks about that. You know, NVIDIA, NVIDIA's already at the edge. I have phone but... for software for years. Uh, yeah. But maybe right. I do soon. We know you can go to cnbc.com, uh, O-T-O-H, right? That's right. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And let us know what you think. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, write a brief review or give us a rating. That helps other listeners discover Squawk Pod. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. If your small business is booming and ready to expand, you might say something like, It's happening! Crushed it. But if you need someone who can actually help protect your growing business... Just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm, he's there. And just like that, your State Farm agent can help you get the coverage you need for your new space. For your small business insurance needs, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.